of the harvest. We started this a couple of weeks ago, uh, mid-September. We're just going to conclude it today. So go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and it'll just kind of launch us into our communion experience today. Might not seem like it has direct correlation, but just just hang on for a second. (laughs) Matthew chapter 9, the last few verses there. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. When you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are what? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today as we're gathered on your day, um, this day is not about us. It's all about you, Jesus. And so we want to personally just put aside anything that would get in the way of our ability to fix our eyes on Jesus today. And as we approach your word just now, as we approach the the foot washing experience and the communion experience, Lord, we are, we are asking that you would do a work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure, that you would speak to us, God. As we open up your word, I pray that we would see more than just ink on paper, but that our hearts would hear the voice of the living God. Pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. As we were praying earlier for things to trust you with, God, I want to trust you with with the burdens of my heart that would uh, inhibit my ability to really cling to your word today. And so, please speak to us. Thank you that we are your children and that you are our Father and that you love to enjoy relationship with us. So please, as our Father, please speak wisdom to us. Please speak counsel to us. Speak love and encouragement and direction to us today, God. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. As Jesus looks out on the crowds, he sees a big problem. It's a big problem. He sees multitudes. He sees multitudes who are in need. Uh, some, Some versions of the Bible say they are distressed and dispirited. They're broken people. Jesus sees this problem. He doesn't turn away from it. He actually turns towards it with compassion. He's moved with compassion But there's a problem. The harvest is plentiful. That's good news. But here's the problem in verse 37. The laborers are few. When was the last time you looked out, whether it's uh, your calendar or your checkbook or your household, and you see a problem? (laughs) Have you ever looked out on your life and you've seen a problem? What is your immediate response when you see problems? Do you go about fixing it? Do you go about fretting over it? Or do you go about fleeing from it? Jesus' response is none of the above. He he prays about it. 
He instructs us to pray. Notice that his first response in the immediate kind of gap between plentiful harvest and, and, and diminished task force, as he looks at the underwhelming readiness of the church, Jesus doesn't turn to fixing. He turns to praying. And what does he pray? He says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This might irk some of the fix it types among us as inefficient and impractical. But I think that prayer reminds us of something. It reminds us of who the Lord of the harvest really is. And it's not you or me, that we can't take a wrench and fix this problem, that we can't just get out to every single door and expect that we are going to be its savior. That's why we're told to pray. Pray to who? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. I love that. I love that. It's not you or me. We are not the Lord of the harvest. When our hearts are pricked for a burden, of, burden for souls, a burden for our neighbors, a burden for our family members who need salvation, who need to know Jesus, it's in praying to the Lord of the harvest that we only remember that only Jesus can be Jesus. Is that, is that okay to say only Jesus can be Jesus? Jesus, his name means Savior, by the way. Only the Savior can really be the Savior. So that's why we're taught to pray. Verse 38, I would say, it's not just a nice prayer. It's actually a radical saving prayer. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is going to be fun. We're just going to quickly go through um, a a study of this prayer, what this prayer is all about. We're going to look at uh, the the specific kind of prayer Jesus is talking about. We're going to look at the specific content of the prayer, the focus of the prayer, and hopefully what it looks like for that prayer to be answered. All right, those are the four things we're going to cover today. So let's dive right in. The specific kind of prayer, when Jesus tells us to pray for laborers, it involves a specific kind of prayer. Actually, when you look here in verse 38, it says, therefore, does your Bible say pray right there in verse 38? Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. Yeah. Anybody's version say anything different besides the word pray, those four letters? Ask. Ask? Okay. What did you say, Bernice? Beseech. Yes. Okay. Beseech. This is more than just thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for this food. You know, this is more than just, this is beseech. Literally beg. Beg. When Jesus tells us to pray for laborers, he's not just telling us to pray in a routine sort of way. Not to say that routine prayers are off or misplaced or or that there's no place for that. No, no, no. But what Jesus is talking about, this is more than just your everyday sort of prayer. There's a difference, I think. I think we all resonate with this. That there's a difference between your routine prayers and earnest prayer. Do you feel me? Yeah? Uh, There's a difference between um, uh, asking for things and then knocking for things. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, obviously, if you've read the book, a powerful book, Steps to Christ, I'm I try to read it through at least every, every year. Um, so fall, Christmas is kind of when I start reading through Steps to Christ. I'm in chapter three right now, but later on in the book, page 93, in the privilege of prayer, there's this awesome phrase that, that prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend, right? That's what prayer in its basic essential dynamic is. It's turning your heart upward. It's opening your heart upward, giving your attention upward. But when we're talking about praying for laborers, this is more than just turning your desires towards heaven. 
Actually, the common word in the New Testament, the common Greek word in the New Testament for, uh, for prayer, it's, it's a word that sounds like this, pros euchomai. Pros euchomai. Pros, direction. Euchos, desires. Turning your desires towards heaven. Okay? But in the Greek here, the word is deomai. Deo meaning needs. Needs, demanding. It, it's, it's a sense of lack. And so the Greek word literally means to beg. It's the urgent appeal that, w- that we make when we feel a pressing need, when we feel like we're missing something that we desperately need. So remember just the situation where Jesus is saying this, hey, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest. He has just laid out a serious lack. The harvest is plentiful. The fruit's going to rot because there aren't any laborers, right? This is serious business. This is life and death. And so if this is truly uh, a matter of life and death, Jesus wants us to take this as a personal need. He, he wants us to pray this in a sense that you feel this lack, not just, oh, man, that poor farm out there, it's not going to get harvested. No, this is, this is my vineyard. Th- these are, these, this is fruit that matters to me. I need to take this personally. Pray, he says. Don't just pray. Pray. Yeah? <laughs> Don't just pray, beg. You know, there are other times in the New Testament where this, this word deomai is used for prayer. Only time in the Gospel of Matthew, right here, Matthew chapter 9. Uh, Luke actually uses it like 15 times out of the 22 times that it's used in the New Testament. He, puts it, he sprinkles it all throughout the Gospel of Luke and even in, in his book, uh, to, uh, The Acts of the Apostles. Paul uses it maybe five or six times. But uh, I just wanted to quickly reference a few of the times where this word deomai is used, just so that you kind of have a sense of how desperate we're talking about. Uh, There's a story in Luke chapter 9. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. His disciples are kind of in a a little bit of a tussle because there is a father who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples, hoping that he would be healed when they can't heal him. Uh, you know, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders are kind of making a big deal of it. See, the name of Jesus isn't really a big thing. And, and the man in the crowd, when Jesus comes down from the Mount of the Transfiguration, he calls out to Jesus directly. Notice how he says that a man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you, look, to, look at my son, my only child. Have you ever prayed for your children? Yeah? Whether it's a, a physical emergency or just spiritual flame is flickering out. Man, when you pray for your kids, this isn't, thank you, God, for this rice. Right? Thank you. You know, this, is, this isn't just like routine. This is begging, beseeching. I beg you. Again, in Luke chapter 22, this time this is Jesus talking, and it's about him pleading. In Luke 22, he's talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Man, Jesus takes our case upon himself and he pleads for each and every one of us, especially Simon. In this moment where his faith was about to be tried, Jesus knew that the devil had huge plans for Satan or for for Simon because Jesus himself had huge plans for Simon, for Peter, right? And so he's pleading in prayer. And then again, another instance in Acts chapter 4. Uh, this comes on the heels of, 
of a time where John and Peter, they're kind of apprehended by the religious leaders. They had just healed a blind man, not a blind man, a lame man um, in the name of Jesus. And so the religious leaders apprehend Peter and John. They take them, they try them. Hey, I, I hear you're preaching in the name of Jesus. That man died a few days ago. But, but the, the, the disciples say, no, 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 we can't help but tell the things that we've seen and heard. This man is alive. And they tell Peter and John, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. All right, we'll, we'll beat you. We'll uh, tell, tell you to stop uh, preaching in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, they were tempted to go back saying, oh, look, maybe the harvest isn't plentiful. Maybe the harvest is just going to be resistant all the time. Maybe the laborers ought to be few because the harvest isn't going to be all that great. They were tempted. I'm sure of it. But they went back and their conversation in the upper room with the fellow believers was, guys, we need to pray. We need to pray for boldness to speak the word of God. And after they prayed this beautiful prayer in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, it says, when they had prayed, that's deomai, begged, pleaded, beseeched, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. <laughs> right? This is what happens when we plead with God. When God's church doesn't just settle for routine prayers, for turning our desires, but instead pleads our deep need When we raise our voice to heaven like this, things start shaking. (laughs) When we raise our voice to heaven like this, the Holy Spirit is poured out. When we raise our voice to heaven like this, even in the face of resistance, God can't help but do a mighty work. This is awesome. This is is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 9. Plead with me. Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. So this is the specific kind of prayer that we're talking about. Is everybody following okay? When we're talking about praying the Lord of the harvest, we're talking about praying, not just praying, but praying, yeah? Not just turning our desires, but pleading our deep needs before God. All right, so if that's the specific kind of prayer, what is the specific contents of that prayer? Go back, Matthew chapter 9. You're there. What are we pleading with God to do for us? What are we asking him to do? According to verse 38, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to what? To send out laborers into his harvest. What's the visual picture that comes to your mind when you read that? Send out laborers into your harvest. Is it the picture of, I mean, we use the word send for a lot of different things. You pull out your phone and you send a text message. It's the click of a button, right? You get on your computer, you send an email, you direct something in a certain direction just at the click of a button. But, but what if there's something more than just sending people out, assigning people in a certain direction? What are we really asking God to do? If the word pray is an intense form of the word, I wonder if sending is an intense form of the word. And actually, literally, it is. The literal meaning of the word there is to throw them out. Get them out of here. Cast them out. In fact, the most often this word is used in the Greek New Testament is in describing Jesus casting out demons. As though something that is taking residence lodged there needs to be painfully, violently, forcibly extracted. 
why do laborers need to be extracted like that? <laughs> why, do, why do laborers need to be pushed out almost with a sense of edginess? Why? Because God needs to overcome some inhibitions in our hearts. Yeah? Do, you, do you follow what I'm talking about? There are times where the church is held back, comfortable, lodged in such a way that we need to be extracted from our cozy seats and cast out into the harvest. Mm. (laughs) Cast out. It requires a bit of violence at times. (laughs) Maybe because it involves a little bit of resistance on our part. I think there's another reason, though, that there, there, there are opposing forces on the other side of it. Not just opposing forces in my heart and in yours. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Get out of here. <laughs> it's not just opposing forces on the laborer side. There's opposing forces on the harvest side, too. And Jesus needs to cast out laborers, like throw them out, launch them, deploy them. There's a war going on here. And so we're talking about a specific kind of prayer, right? Pleading with God. We're also talking about a specific content of prayer. Send us, launch us, cast us out. But there's also a specific focus to this. I I mean, we've already kind of been saying this in the first person plural, send us out. And that's the real focus of this. When we're praying for laborers, we're not just praying for laborers. We're praying for laborers, right? Oh, God, send out our elders into the harvest, you know? Oh, God, send out our preacher into the harvest. No, send me. That's the specific focus of this prayer. Notice what what Jesus says. He says, verse 38, Therefore pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what's happening in the very next verse? Chapter 10, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Maybe said with a little bit of trepidation there. No, I'm kidding. Here we go. Verse 1, it says, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And so here, chapter 10, Jesus is launching the disciples out. Notice what he's doing. He says, okay, guys, this is how you need to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. Pray God would send out laborers. By the way, I'm sending you. That's the flow of Jesus' talk here. I I need to make this appeal. You need to beg God that he would send out laborers. You need to beg God that he would send you out. That's the specific focus of this prayer. So like we said earlier, prayer may be the first response to the problem. Harvest plentiful, laborers are few. Prayer may be the first response. But the second response is that we actually answer the prayer ourselves. You hear that? Do you realize that when Jesus asks us to pray, he asks us also to be the answer to our prayers? I mean, yeah, there are times where you're standing at the Red Sea and all Jesus wants you to do is to stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord, right? But then in a situation like this, Jesus says, hey, pray for this. Now be an answer to that prayer. Well, prayer may be the first response to the harvest need. It's not the only response. God invites us to pray this way and then to be willing to be an answer to our own prayers. God, launch out laborers please make me willing to, right? 
So those are the three dynamics here. We've covered a specific kind of prayer, specific content of prayer, the focus of this prayer. But there's a dynamic that, um, that I think is easily glossed over. Actually, it didn't catch my notice until I was studying it again just two weeks ago. Um, and I think that we need to ask this, that praying for laborers involves a specific answer to this prayer. There's a specific answer to this prayer. In other words, what would it look like when, when Jesus sends out laborers? What does that look like? What does it look like when I go out? How am I supposed to labor? Maybe another way of answer, asking this question is, what kind of laborer does Jesus want me to be? Let's think about this just for a moment. Specifically in the context, you still have your Bible open. In light, in light of this context here, uh, especially in verse 36, notice, remember, Jesus didn't say these words. He didn't tell them to pray this prayer in a vacuum. He said it in a specific moment. And that moment, what was happening? Verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no what? Shepherd. Shepherd. In that context, were there religious leaders taking care or taking lead over the people? Yes, there were. But they were missing what kind of leader? What kind of laborer? They were missing shepherds. Follow this just for a moment. Could it be that it's not just that the laborers are few, but that there are few shepherds? Few who are shepherding with the kind of sacrificial relational labor that's needed for weary and scattered sheep, that's needed for distressed and dispirited people, that's needed for harassed, I think it's in the NIV, harassed and hopeless people. There's a collision of metaphors here in just verse 36 and then in verse 37. He goes from a, a shepherding metaphor to a harvesting metaphor, right? And while, uh, while the harvest metaphor, I think it highlights the necessary timing of gospel labor, I think the shepherd metaphor highlights the necessary manner of gospel labor. You follow that? There's no shepherd. The laborers are few. What, what kind of laborer is Jesus looking for? He's looking for laborers who will get close to people. He's looking for laborers who will recognize weakness and not just turn away from it, but come close to it, be gentle with it, tender with it, lift it up. He's looking for laborers who are like shepherds. You know, a few weeks ago, we referenced this story in, in John chapter 21. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Peter, he goes out and says to his friends, he's like, hey guys, I'm, I'm going fishing, right? John chapter 21, at the end of the gospel, he says, I'm going fishing. He goes back to, to kind of his first love, so to speak. Um, he goes, he gets in a boat, several of, the, of, his, uh, of the, the other disciples, they're with him there. And it was probably a moment where he, as a laborer, felt discouraged, maybe even distracted, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But I wonder if there was something in Peter that just kind of wanted to revive where it all started. You know? <laughs> like, man, this has been hard. This is where it all started. Let, let's get back to it. And I think Jesus wanted the same thing for him. Why? Why do I say that? Because Jesus met him there. He met him there, right? After a whole night of catching nothing, dawn is about to break, and they hear this voice from the shore, and the voice says, children, right? These grown men, children, <laughs> did you catch anything? Da, da, no. And nets are empty, boat still kind of bouncing. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. I don't think he meant right versus left. The correct side. <laughs> My side. 
at my command. And so G, er, the Peter and the disciples, they do it, right? And maybe you know the story. They pull in, according to John 21, 153 fish that the nets are breaking, right? They, they need multiple boats to be able to haul it in. Peter, he's told by John. John says, hey, that's, the mis- that, that's, that's Jesus. Peter jumps in, fully clothed. He jumps in, swims to shore, lets the others kind of take the boats in the hull into shore themselves. But by the time Peter gets to shore, you remember this story. Jesus has breakfast waiting for them. Fire crackling, fish broiling. He didn't need the fish. He didn't need the catch. He just needed them to be with him. And so Peter comes. They have this conversation. And Jesus directly addresses Peter with a question three times over. Do you remember what the question was? It says, Peter, do you love me? Right? Do you love me? Peter learned his lesson about being prideful and kind of self-assertive. And he said, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. There's very interesting how Jesus kind of follows that up, that, that confession up. He says, Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Then feed my Yeah, he says lambs. He says sheep. He's talking to Peter, not just as a fisher who's worried about a catch. He asks him to be a shepherd who knows how to care. I think too often when we, we, we come out with, with uh, events like the appearing or, or uh, Bible studies or whatever the case might be, we approach it as fishermen and fisherwomen, which God calls us to be. Go get people, right? But a lot of times we neglect how to care for people. And if they don't respond, if they don't buy, ah. We kind of we grow a little bit jaded. We even get kind of, I don't know, maybe we self-insulate and try to protect ourselves from getting too emotionally involved. Because people don't always respond the way that we want them to. Isn't this right? Like, we invest so much time, we pour into people, and then something comes up, a question comes up, a, an objection, or whatever the case might be, and, and we're... I'll be the first to admit, sometimes we're too quick to write them off. But a shepherd will continue to care, will continue to stay close, will continue to feed, will continue to provide. Even if the results aren't there, the shepherd invests in the process. The shepherds are few. The shepherds are few. The harvest is plentiful. Oh, but they're not biting. They're not coming into the net. But the shepherds are few. You're not coming close to the flock. You're not trying to gather them from directions they shouldn't be going. You're not going out with care and compassion. The shepherds are few. So when we talk about these things, when next week when we have the appearing, I, I hope that we don't, we're not just trying to cast out nets. I hope that we can approach people as shepherds. I mean, this isn't about me being better than other people. No, this is about me being compassionate towards people. Do we follow that? Are are we okay with that? So when you come to the appearing, you know, maybe they're not super responsive. Maybe nobody actually comes out who says they're going to come out. Hey, we're going to continue to care. And we're going to continue to come close to people. I, I hope 
that as a church family, you know, we, we have this, uh, this direction, this mission of seeking God, sharing life, serving the world. And I hope that we can be the kind of community who will serve the world with a shepherd's heart. When Jesus says, hey, send out laborers into the harvest, he's looking for a specific answer to that prayer, that the laborers that are sent are shepherds who know how to come close to people. So, simple appeal today is to labor with tenderness and care for others, to labor with heart-knit, sacrificial compassion, to labor for distressed and dispirited individuals, to recognize brokenness, and to realize that they need more than a net. They need a shepherd's touch. Yeah, that's the appeal today. The reality is that to pray with this kind of specificity that we've talked about, you know, to to plead with God, it requires courage and faith. To plead that God would cast us, extract us, throw us out, it requires courage and faith. And then to labor with this kind of love, to labor with this kind of, uh, shepherdly tenderness um, it doesn't just require faith, it requires a new heart. Wouldn't you say? It requires a heart that's not concerned about am I being successful here? It requires a heart that genuinely loves for the sake of others. That's a new heart. That's a heart of flesh. And so yes, appeal number one, let's commit to praying this prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send out laborers into the harvest. I don't know how often you pray that prayer. But as a church planter who came here two and a half years ago, Lord, send us laborers, right? Man, Debbie and I, we would uh, just be on our knees like, man, how is this going to happen? And the Lord did send laborers. And the Lord has sent laborers. And the Lord will continue to send laborers. I hope you recognize that when we started this church, we didn't just start a program for people to come to. We started a community that would care and a community that would go. Yeah? So, so hey, you're invited. Be part of the community that goes. <laughs> Be part of the community that cares. Be part of the community that is sent out and thrown out into this, this harvest. Labor with a shepherd's love and patience. How many of you today want to just say, you know what? I recognize that I need to be extracted at times. I need to be cast out, and I want to labor with a shepherd's love. How many of you want to say that today, yeah? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Second appeal I just want to make today is this. I want us to to recognize that if that's our desire to labor with that kind of love, we need to be converted today. We need to be converted today. We need to be converted every single day. Conversion, complete overhaul, not just a modification of things, but a complete transformation by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. We need a new heart that would make that kind of prayer, that kind of labor even possible. And so I'm going to just quickly transition here. I want to sing a a song before we uh, dismiss to foot washing and and communion, but I want to share something from 1 Peter chapter 1. I was reading this uh, this week, actually, kind of going through our blue Bible story books at home. And um, it, this was referenced, and I, it took me a while to find it, but it, there it is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. And the verse says this. This is coming from Peter, right? <laughs> it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless 
Lamb of God. Hmm. Just let that sink in. That Jesus has saved us. Not by gold or silver. He purchased us not with things that are going to perish or, or corrupt. He purchased us with the precious blood of Christ. But I love this part. To save you from the empty life. In what ways, I mean, what, 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 what could you fill in the blank there? The empty nets. Um, the, the, the empty home. The empty heart. Have your prayers been empty? Has your labor been heartless? Has your desire to live a holy life been fueled by the fumes of human effort rather than the sacrifice and spirit of Jesus? He wants to save us from that today by the precious blood of Christ. Simple appeal to accept by faith this precious blood of Christ. Blood of a spotless, sinless Lamb of God. Um, We're going to sing today, Jesus paid it all. And I want to appeal, you know, something we started a few weeks ago is uh, just to make an appeal every single week. Give people an opportunity. If you want to accept Jesus, maybe in a renewed sense or as a first-time experience, if you want to say, yes, I want to be bought by the, the precious blood of the Lamb, would you stand with us as we sing today? You want to say, yeah, I, I accept that. That's, that's for me. I want to be saved from my empty life. And I want to encourage anyone here that, that says, you know what? I'm, I want to make that profession that Jesus is my Savior, that I've been bought by the Lamb of God, that I'm a, a laborer in His kingdom, not by my merits, but by God's Spirit. If you want to say, yes, that's me, um, and you want to profess that through the public confession of baptism, If that's something you have never experienced or if that's something that you need to experience once again, while we sing this song, I'm just going to be sitting right here up in the front. I want you to join me up here in the front. If that's you, if you want to say, yeah, I need to be baptized. Maybe it's not today. Obviously, we don't have a baptistry here, but we can prepare for that. Yeah. So if if you want to respond to an invitation to be baptized or to be re-baptized, I want to invite you to join me here in the front while we sing this song, Jesus Paid It All.